Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala abadihi alladhi nastafa amma ba'd Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Walladhina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subulana Sadaqallahul adhim Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim When we finish, just remind me, there was a couple of things I forgot to mention after the istikhara talk we had a couple of days ago, so you guys can pass it on, inshallah. <coughs> so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, the next name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what did we do last week? Shukur, right? So gratitude. And that was more of a discussion about how we should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what did it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He shows us an immense amount of gratitude for what little we do for Him. The um, minute amount of obedience we have for Allah, to, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives us more reward than we are deserving of. So the next two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are somewhat similar, so we'll kind of do them together. Um, and intricacies of explaining them are related, so... We'll kind of do them together. So the next name is Al-Ali and Al-Kabir. Okay, so Al-Ali means the most high, the lofty, the elevated. And Kabir is what? The great. Okay. <coughs> now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oftentimes, these two names don't come very often in the Quran. But oftentimes Allah ta'ala brings them together. So what does he say? He says, ذَلِكُمْ بِأَنَّهُ إِذَا دُعِيَ اللَّهُ وَحْدَ That when... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was called alone. Kafartum, then you disbelieved. Wa in yushrik bihi, and when he was, when partners were associated with him, tu'minu, then you believed. Falhukmu lillah, Allah subhanahu the judgment belongs to Allah, al Ali al Kabir, the most lofty, the elevated, the great. So, what does. We'll do al Kabir first because it's shorter. So, al Kabir. It means the great, but it's perfection. So how do we understand it with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's just perfection, if it was to be one word. And perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is due to two things. One, because of His eternality. So that He is, there was nothing before Him, nor will there be, will, will there be anything after Him. That he, His existence is necessary. Right. So there's things that, will, that Allah ta'ala has created that will live on and never die. So like the soul will never die. It will live on forever. However, its existence is not necessary. If the soul comes out of existence, the universe will still go on. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is completely eternal. And so, Al-Kabir is that <coughs> it's referred to also as somebody who gets old. Right? So when somebody is old, then we'll say a person is Kabir. Why? Because they have been around for a long time. <laughs> okay? They've been around for a long time, so they'll be referred to as Kabir. This is different than Azim. Azim is similar, but Azim, we said what is magnanimous. Okay? The difference between Kabir and Azim with this example is that Kabir is somebody who is, their existence is very old or is for a very long time, whereas Azim is existence that, existence that extends for quite some time. So a long time is more than quite some time. So that, therefore, Kabir is more 
eternal of a meaning than avim is. Um, so we said his perfection is because of two things, because of his eternality and that his existence is the one whereby everything else comes into existence. So everything else came into existence because of the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If he did not exist, nothing else would have existed either. Right? The ulama then write that there's two ways that we can look at Kabir. Okay, so Kabir is linked to Akbar, it's, it's, it's linked to Kibriya, it's linked to Mutakabir. Mutakabir we discussed you know, several months ago. But uh, there's two ways to look at Kabir. One is that it is the opposite of anything insignificant. So you have things which are of complete insignificance, and then you have Kabir, the, the extreme opposite of that, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you could also understand it, Kabir can be used for creation also. So you can refer to, you can say, you know, Kabir al-Qawm, for example, the, the great one amongst the people, or of this community, or the, of these people, the great one, or Kabir fiddin, the person who is great in theology. Right? You can use it as an attribute for different, to explain different things. And what, what, what does this do? This shows, this shows comparison between that thing we are labeling as Kabir to those things which do not have as much significance to it uh, as, as it. Right? So if something is Kabir, that means there's other things which are not at its level of greatness. That's what Kabir is. Uh, so we said two ways to look at Kabir. One was that it's the opposite of anything insignificant. The other is that it is greater than sharing any likeness or similarity with what Allah has created. So what the Allah is Kabir, meaning He is the opposite of anything insignificant. And secondly, that He is greater than having any likeness to Him. Nothing short shares a likeness, a true comparison. In our understanding of, or our attempt to explain it, we will make comparisons. But that is simply because that's the only way we can try to understand it. In reality, there is no comparison to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, Kabir, the ulama mentioned that Kabir, I didn't research this myself, came across it. Kabir is mentioned, I think, five times in the Quran. I was surprised, actually. It's only mentioned five times. You'd think it'd be mentioned more. The reason we think it's mentioned more is why? Because we say it so much. When we pray, what happens? We make adhan, iqama. We say, Allahu Akbar. When we start salah, we say Allahu Akbar. Uh, oftentimes, when we, you know, when we start our uh, ihram for hajj and umrah, we say Allahu Akbar. When we're throwing the stones at the, the you know, when they go for pelting the shayateen, right? You're not actually pelting the shayateen, it's metaphorical, right? So you're, when you're throwing the stones and we're saying Allahu Akbar each time. We're saying it every time, why do we say it? Why do we say Allahu Akbar? Because... For example, when we start the salah, that Allahu Akbar, that's referred to as the takbir al-tahrima. Right? Takbir, which is to say Allahu Akbar, and tahrim, which is prohibition. So when we start our salah, what are we doing? We are prohibiting things on ourselves which would normally have been permissible. So for example, eating and drinking is permissible. Speaking is permissible. But when we start our prayer, when we start our salah and we say Allahu Akbar, now speaking to any individual or eating and drinking becomes haram, becomes impermissible, becomes prohibited on us. So what we are doing is we are cutting ourselves off from anything that could be a distraction to us. That's why we say Allahu Akbar. That's why we say it so much. That there's these other things that distract us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, in a sense, they are vying with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to preoccupy us. So what do we do? We say that despite how much I'm distracted by whatever it might be, even if it's permissible or, or praiseworthy things, right? Then I'm still cutting myself off 
this has some greatness in my mind. However, Allahu Akbar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most great. And the, the form of the word, Akbar, the word is, it comes from is Kabir, Kibr. But when it's put into the form of Akbar, uh, it's called Ismut Tafdil. I can draw on the board if you guys want. There's even a marker, right? So, for example, Ismut Tafdil is a noun of superlative. Now, we've discussed superlatives before, but this is basically uh, like this, right? So you have Akbar, right? You, when you put a word in Arabic into this form, that like you put an alif at the beginning, you put a fatha on it, and then you put a fatha on the third letter, and a dhamma on the fourth letter, this shows superlative. So, for example, if we take the word in, okay, and you put it into this form, it's going to be what? Uh, this means more knowledgeable, or the most knowledgeable. So usually it's in terms of comparing. So even when you speak to an individual, you might say, uh, that you are greater than me. You are more knowledgeable than me. You, are, you have more taqwa than me. What is it? It's superlative, but it's comparative. So that's when we're saying Allahu Akbar. That means we're saying that whatever else distracts us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is significant in our minds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most significant. He is the greatest. And so it's a cutoff. And that's why we begin our salah with it. We begin our uh, adhan with it. So that we can start reestablishing our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Now, <clears throat> kabir can also mean big. So what does that mean? Allah ta'ala is big. Big in what sense? This is where we'll get into Al-Ali. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we said Al-Ali is what? That he is most high. That he is elevated. He is the lofty one. This means that there is no rank above his rank and that all ranks are inferior to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we say Al-Ali can mean it's the most high, right? So the high one, the one who is high. Does this mean in terms of height? Does this mean in terms of place? Like locality? It doesn't. It can't. Referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it can't mean that. Right? So it's what? It's above in value. In, in Arabic, we would say maqam or darajat, right? Above in rank, in value, in significance. Now, <clears throat> Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he mentions that there's rational division of grading. And that's by comparison, comparing what is below it. So when we look at something and we try to determine what is higher, then what are we doing? We use our rationale and we have this division, we make this division, we say, okay, this thing is deemed high because this other thing is not as high. So it's a comparison, right? And he said it's found in objects that are uh, divided like cause and effect. Okay, so what is, you have cause and effect. What is higher, cause or effect? What do you guys think? Cause, right? Cause is higher. Why? Because it's the cause. It's the original and the effect is a result of it. Okay? So in anything, even like with a sickness, you have a symptom, but you have the cause of that symptom, right? A symptom is what? It's a symptom of, it's a result of something else that you are suffering from, okay? So, you know, yeah, so like different rashes and whatnot, it might be a problem with the gut, the immune system, right? That's what a lot of, that's what they're saying now, the naturopaths, that eczema and things like that are a problem of the gut and the immune system. So you have eczema, you get this rash, but the rash is a... It's the effect. The actual problem is the immune system is, is not as strong as it should be, right? So if the cause and the if, if the cause is higher than the effect, there's a dua of Rasulullah that when he calls on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Ya musabbibul asbab. That oh, asbab is the plural of sabab, which means cause. Musabib is the causer of the cause. 
So therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the highest station because He is the causer of all of these things, right? He is the one that caused everything. Now Imam Uzali rahimullah, he then moves on and he says, we can compare inanimate and animate objects. Animate objects are divided. Inanimate objects, obviously those are lower than animate objects because they're inanimate, right? They don't really, they can't do anything. Like a chair or a table, what does it do, right? Although there are narrations that everything makes tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that would include the inanimate objects. But on a rational level, obviously animate objects would be higher in value and better and more supreme than inanimate objects. So we won't discuss the inanimate. Animate objects are then divided. How are they divided? Imam Ghazali then says they are divided. There's those animate objects that are only they have only sensible perception. So they base everything around them is based on their senses. And he says this is the level of the animals. That's it. That's what they are. They, they base everything off of their senses. Then there's those who have sensible and rational perception. Right? So that would, now we're starting to get into humankind because we use our, we have rationale and we have our senses, right? For, in order to perceive things. The rational, those beings are divided further into those which passion and anger are in an individual and they resist what they know. Right? And so this is, those, this, uh, you have the, the ones who have sensible and rational perception, those are humans. And humans then are divided basically into what? Those that have passion and anger and that they resist those passions and angers. So different humans, different insan, they will be div divided. They will hold more value in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because by those who have passions and angers and they resist their passions and angers, right? Those passions and angers which are disliked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those who resist those, those have a higher value and higher maqam with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a higher degree than those who don't resist their passions and angers. Then he says there's those whose perception is free from such troubling opposition. So meaning, we have passions and angers, and then there's those individuals who are free from those passions and angers. Meaning they don't even have those passions and angers. And who are those? Right? So those that are free from it are what? Those that can be afflicted, but are endowed with safekeeping from this. Those are what? The angels. So the angels could have these passions, they could be afflicted with something, right? Meaning, there could be something, the, the angels are completely on fitrah, they're completely on natural disposition, that's it, right? They don't have a will. When Allah Ta'ala commands them, they do it, right? They might ask, so what, in the Qur'an, they asked Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, that would you, are you creating such a creation that's going to spread corruption in the land, mischief in the land? So they ask, right? Why? Because the concept of insan troubled them. The concept troubled them because they know the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they realized it. So to them it was like, look, we're here, we make your tasbih, why would you make something that might not glorify you, right? So they had this type of affliction. However, they're endowed with safekeeping from it. The affliction didn't really do anything. It's not like they lost favor in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, so like we don't, when it comes to Iblis, uh, some people will refer to him as uh, the, uh, you know, the fallen angel. We don't, we don't say that he was ever an angel. Had he been an angel, there might have been some type of affliction, just like with the rest of the angels, but he wouldn't have fallen from grace. Right? So what do we say? He was actually a jinn. He was a jinn and he was the head of the angels. So he was given their you know, charge over them and whatnot, but he wasn't actually an angel in and of itself. And you'll find certain opinions within you know, some of the scholars, very, very minute, that will say that uh, you know, no, he was an angel and whatnot. My, usually I don't, I don't mention minor opinions most of the time. There's a minor opinion for everything, but like 
usually I'm not going to mention minor opinions. But I don't want you guys to hear it and say, oh, he said that wasn't, gonna, that wasn't the case, so like, you know, he doesn't know and this and that, whatever. I don't know everything, but usually I, I avoid minor opinions because minor opinions should be avoided most of the time. <clears throat> um, so what do we say? That there's those that are afflicted, but they're endowed by safekeeping from them. And then there's what? The one who it's impossible to be afflicted, and that is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what we had those that they only have sensible perception, and that's animals. And then you have those who have sensible and rational perception. And that is humankind. Okay? Uh, and Imam Zayd, he doesn't specify that this is humankind because angels can also have a rational perception. Okay? So it's not only humankind. Uh, and jinns, of course, also, right? Jinns fall into every category that humans do, generally. Right? Then we said the rational ones are divided by those who have passions and angers and those who resist it. Then there's those who are afflicted, but they're not they also are safeguarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from going into any error. And those are the angels. And then we have the one who it's impossible to be afflicted by anything. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we look at this order of how, what Imam Uzali rahimullah has mentioned as far as, what is, um, as far as the types of creation, it means what? That you have animals, and animals are the lowest, and then you have insan, and then you have angels. So humankind is above animals and angels are above humankind and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above everything now the ulama have mentioned that individuals can go higher at higher levels than the angels right so based on how they act they can they can take a higher uh, rank than the angels why because insan humankind they have a will we have a will so if we <coughs> we meaning we have the will to do bad Angels don't have the will to disobey Allah. Despite that will, if we refrain from evil and we do good, then we are awarded a status higher than the angels. And that is what we find with what? The Anbiya and with the companions also, right? That they reached a level higher than the angels, right? Um, especially the elite amongst them. <clears throat> so what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the highest, right? He is above everything else. Now Imam Uzzali Rahimullah, he goes into an interesting discussion. He says, all of the names of... Yeah. Basically, they're both judged sort of like that, right? So they both have a free will. Jinns were actually here before us, right? And they disobeyed Allah, and so Allah Ta'ala made us the vicegerents of the earth. That we then became the, you know, Allah refers to us as the Khalifas of the land, the vicegerents, those who inherited the land. You know, so the angels came and they actually cleared the way of the jinns off of the earth. And they're still around. And some say that their cities are like above our cities and this and that. But we, we're similar to the jinns, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That he has created insan in the best of modes. So we are a higher level, but we will be judged similar to the jinns, right? And so, Just, sorry, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> it's, uh, so this jinn that's with you, this is like, a, this is the devilish jinn. They are encouraging us to always do bad. Right? And so Rasulullah was asked that, do you, even you, he said, yes, but mine became Muslim. <laughs> so his no longer, 
encourage them to do bad. And if, even if it did, it wouldn't have affected the Prophet. So, uh, but you know, speaking about jinns and whatnot, we shouldn't become afraid. Some people are like, if you say the word jinn, then one comes within 40 steps of you. There's always one with you, right? So like, don't freak out about it. Don't fear them. Jinns are actually intimidated and fearful of insan, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very possible, right? I, I don't know if there's more Muslim jinn than non-Muslim jinn or whatnot. But Rasulullah was sent to both, to insan and to jinn. So there are many that are there are many that are Muslim. That's why we shouldn't fear jinns, because we shouldn't fear anyone other than Allah. But jinns are like us. There's good and there's bad, you know. Um, yeah, so don't freak out about you know. And if you go too much into like the concept of jinns, you're gonna start thinking that you're seeing them everywhere, and you're just your mind's playing tricks on you. So. Don't let that happen, because <laughs> people get carried away with that, right? Uh, but you also have angels with you. You have ten angels. Everyone has ten angels with them, at least, also. So don't freak out if there's one jinn with you, right? Uh, now, Imam Muzali, he says that all the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they, they are posited in relation to visual perception, okay? So there's a visual perception of them, and parallels are found between that visual perception of what the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mean, and with sight, Okay, so then the elite amongst people, they understand the names. Meaning, there's a basic level that when we look at the names of Allah, there's a basic level to understanding them. And that's generally what people do. The elite amongst people, they look at that and they find parallels. Meaning, they find metaphors and whatnot. And because they have understood it on a deeper level, the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once they understand it on a deeper level, then they use words in order to, they use words to compare the attributes and the names of Allah so that we can understand get some insight because we cannot fully understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so in order for us to get some bit of insight into what these names mean and what type of being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is they use these metaphors and they use certain parallels and comparisons right once they grasp it they do all of these they give all these explanations there are those amongst the layman who don't understand who don't grasp it so what do they do they try to keep Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the most basic level possible and that's trying to be very one dimensional so he says, they fail to grasp the reality of Allah. Like they fail to grasp that there's a deeper level to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because none of us can truly grasp Allah. So they fail to grasp that. And then they reject the deeper understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because their perception doesn't go beyond this basic understanding. Okay? And he says, this is the level of the animals. So if we refuse to understand, to, to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... One is that we're not able to understand it. But the other is that... And that, that's not a problem. But the other is to refuse that there's a deeper understanding to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a deeper meaning and reality to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, those that fail to do this, they only understand Allah in spatial terms, in matters of height. Right? So when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Ali, they'll say, well, that means He is high above us, meaning in locality. And he says, this is the perception of the animals, because you are basing it off of a very basic knowledge a very basic level of understanding that Ali means high, high. Therefore, you're saying, oh, that means Allah Ta'ala is higher than us in terms of location. Whereas that's not what is meant by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala being Ali. Location, Allah Ta'ala is beyond location. Why? Because He has created location. So how can location encompass Him when He has created it? Because His creation cannot encompass Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then He goes into very interesting discussion about the throne of Allah Ta'ala. 
that there's several verses of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, arsh." That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth and everything in it in six days, and then arsh. Then he made istiwa of the arsh. So <clears throat> Imam Ghazali speaks about these people who understand, try to understand Allah at the most basic level and refuse to believe there's a higher and deeper level. And then he dis- begins this discussion about the throne and istiwa al-arsh. Why does he do this? Because this verse, what does istiwa mean? This is one of those words of the Qur'an that we don't translate. We leave it in the meaning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we don't know what Allah ta'ala specifically means by this verse. The earlier ulama, like the earlier generations, the first few generations, they just left it as it was. He said, Allah Ta'ala made istiwa over his throne. And that's what they said. Then people started getting confused. And when people had, those who, who had a lack of understanding came along and said, oh, well, istiwa, well, istiwa means sitting. So therefore, Allah Ta'ala sits on his throne. Then the scholars start saying, no, 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 Allah doesn't sit on his throne because he doesn't have a body. He doesn't sit on his throne. Then they start saying, no, istiwa means that he took possession or power or dominion over his throne. That's what that means. So they interpreted the beginning, earlier scholars, they gave no interpretation. The later scholars that came, they gave a metaphorical interpretation because people started going astray by giving a literal interpretation. So Imam Ghazali says, he gives this whole backdrop of how can we understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the different senses and levels of people's perception. And he says that Allah ta'ala is beyond spatial understanding. Right? He's beyond spatial understanding. Therefore, we cannot say istiwa means that Allah Ta'ala is sitting on his throne. Although istiwa can mean sit. So I can say ist- I am istiwa al-kursi, right? I can say that I have made istiwa, I have, I'm sitting on this chair. However, istiwa has a whole bunch of meanings. What are some of the meanings? Istiwa can mean above. It can mean sit. It can mean, uh, <clears throat> it can mean what? It can mean to be straight. It can mean to be equal. So what, Allah Ta'ala is equal to His throne? If we interpret it, if we translate it, then we can also translate it like that. that Allah Ta'ala is what, equal to His throne? It also means to become ripe. It can also mean to be cooked. So how can we just take a dictionary definition and say, oh, this is what it means? And remove everything else we know about Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. Right, so what is, then Imam is like, how does, he goes on and he explains. He said, so what does istiwa mean? The Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes special mention of his throne. Why? Because throne, a throne is a symbol of power and might. That's why kings, they make thrones for themselves and they sit on this throne. Right? Even shaitan, Iblis has made a throne for himself. Why? To show his power. He has his dominion, so he has his throne and he places it over the water. And he sits there. And this is dominion, so his different... You know, the different demons and his dominions, his, uh, his minions rather, they come to him and they gather at this throne. So it shows his power and his might over the rest, his greatness over the rest, right, of the demons. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in order for us to understand that Allah ta'ala is truly akbar, that he is kabir, that he is great and he is the greatest, he made this throne. Why? Because the throne is the vastest body of creation. Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not the greatest of creation, the vastest. And the, there's a difference there. Why? Because Rasulullah is the greatest of creation. And so the however, the throne of Allah is a great creation. And it's the vastest in body, meaning in form, in size, in shape. We can't imagine how big it is. Right? There's four angels that hold the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at any given time. 
And on the day of judgment, eight angels will come carrying the throne of Allah. And that throne will provide shade for those that have pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, right? That day that there is no shade except the shade of Allah. So he will, have, he will increase the number of angels holding the throne to show the, the magnitude of that day. Okay? So the throne is what? It's the vastest in body of the different creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being making istiwa on the throne shows what? If the throne is the vastest of creation and Allah ta'ala has made istiwa over it, he's what? Taking possession over it. That shows that how much like the throne is greater than all these other creations of Allah. But if Allah ta'ala can take dominion over the throne, how much greater is he than the rest of creation? That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means by he has made istiwa of the arsh. He has made istiwa of, the, of his own throne. That it shows the throne has a high rank, a very high rank amongst the rest of creation. But if Allah Ta'ala can take dominion over it, well then that means that Allah Ta'ala's maqam is even higher, right? Like it's, there's no comparison that could be made because Allah Ta'ala is not creation even. He is, he's the creator, he's not creation. So Imam Ghazali rahmullah, he says that it's interesting, that how can we understand this? For example, you have the Khalifa, right? Or you have like the president, for example. And then you have what? The secretary or the vice president. Okay? So the secretary or the vice president or the secretary of defense, for example, right? In our terms, has a higher rank than everyone else. He has a higher rank as far as the country is concerned than all of us do, right? And yet the president has a higher rank than the secretary of defense or than the vice president. Therefore, it goes without say that the president has a higher rank than all of us. So similarly, Imam Ghazali says that this is the throne compared to most of the rest of creation, you know, except for what, exceptions like Rasulullah and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being greater and have a, having a loftier rank, being Al-Ali, being having a loftier rank than his throne. Then he says, this is interesting how the, he mentions the Hashawiyah, these are a type of mutajassima, these were individuals who gave sects of Islam that gave, of Muslims that gave a body to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a body and a form and whatnot. So he says, how would these people respond if you ask them that in an assembly there's two distinguished individuals sitting in this assembly uh, and one sits above the other one sits above the other so you have this huge assembly so the president and vice president are also in this assembly and you say the president is above the vice president right so if the mutajassima if those that give a form and a body to Allah if that individual says yeah this, there's this assembly, this person's the president, this is the vice president. What does that mean? Well, the president is higher than the vice president. He says, then if the response to that person would be that, no, you're lying because the president is not sitting on the head of the vice president. What? The mutajassim, the person who attributes a body to Allah, he would say what? No, no, I don't mean he's physically sitting on top of him. I mean he's higher in rank. Imam Ghazali says, exactly. He's higher in rank. So being above, the president being above the vice president, doesn't mean he's sitting on his head or sitting in a location on a balcony or something above him. What? It means in rank. So similarly, when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ثُمَّ اسْتَوَعَدَ الْأَرْشِ It doesn't mean he's sitting on his throne or that he's above his throne. It means that he has a loftier rank. He's above his throne in rank. That's what that means. So, he then goes on and he says, <coughs> um, right, because these, yeah, so then he goes on, he says that, who, are the highest, who has the highest rank? The highest rank is that of the Prophet ﷺ. And his rank is high compared to creation. 
So amongst creation, Rasulullah is the highest. And it is above all creation by way of comparison, not by necessity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rank above everything else is by necessity. So there's a difference here. Because Rasulullah is still a creation of Allah. So there is no comparison between Rasulullah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Despite the Prophet being the Prophet, holding the highest rank amongst all creation, but his rank is by the fact that he is creation and in comparison to the rest of creation. Whereas Allah Ta'ala not being creation, being the creator, has the highest and his loftiness is necessary. Right? It's necessary. Because it's necessary, why? That if it wasn't necessary, then he would not be Allah. And then the cosmos would fall apart. He then goes on and gives his counsel. He says, so that we can understand Kabir similarly, that Allah Ta'ala is great, right? Not that he's bigger than everything else, right? Unless you want to use bigger, understand it metaphorically. And then you apply everything that was mentioned for Al-Ali. Imam Rahimullah, he then says that the highest among people are the ones who believe themselves to be the lowest. Highest among people are those who believe themselves to be the lowest. So what do we say? That the, 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 the tree that bears the heaviest fruit hangs the lowest, right? Those branches that have the heaviest fruit, those hang the lowest. Those fruits are the biggest. They are the best of the fruits, yet they hang the lowest. Why? Showing it's a simile, right? It's a, or a metaphor showing humility, humbleness. So similarly, a person, the more knowledge a person gets, the more humble they should be. Right? That's why it's interesting, like in Madrasa, we used to do this social experiment. We used to ask, uh, you, you go amongst you know, five, ten students sitting there, all in different, like there were six years in my school, so you know, the first year, second years, third years, fourth years, fifth years, sixth years. And then you had the, the mufti students, right? Those who were doing the iftah course to become muftis and whatnot. And you had the hadith, the... The spe- those who are specializing in hadith, right? Doing like you could say their PhD, right? The equivalent of their PhD. And you throw a question out there, any question, random question about some, you know, hukum, some law of, of the deen. The first ones to answer would be the second year students and the first year students. And the longer somebody had been in, in, in school, the longer they had been in madrasa, meaning the more books they had studied, the more knowledge they had, the longer they would take to answer. And oftentimes they would say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a mufti, go ask the mufti. Right? Or the mufti would say, yeah, I just, I just finished my iftah, you'd rather go ask the ones who have been doing it for a long time. Right? Why? Because knowledge should humble us. If it doesn't humble us, that means we haven't understood. We haven't understood how much we don't know. One of the, my, my, my teachers, 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 teacher, okay? So like four or five teachers up. Alama Anwar Shah Kashmiri, rahimullah, he used to say, I believe it was him. It was either him or Alama Yusuf bin Nuri, one of the two. And they were a student of one another. When their class would graduate, the graduating class, and keep in mind the school systems at that time were 8 to 12 years long. When they would address their graduating class as, oh, you extremely ignorant ones. The graduating class, juhal, they would say. Juhal is superlative of jahil, meaning ignorant. Like, not only ignorant, but like extremely ignorant. They would say, because you are extremely ignorant now. Why? Because now you've understood how much you don't know. Only now have you realized how much you don't know. You know? It's funny, like, you'd get the, especially you find this amongst the Americans. We'd, we'd come to Madrasa and we'd, the first day of class, we'd be like, we'd want to ask all these questions. Oh, what about this thing? You know, types of discussions we have here. And the teachers would be like, look, relax. You're in first year. Learn how to conjugate a verb. <laughs> and then we'll move on <laughs> to these discussions. <laughs> right? So knowledge should humble us. And oftentimes, and that's where we speak about, you know, with ilm comes him. That with knowledge, you have to have forbearance, tolerance. And how do you gain tolerance? Because you have to have tolerance because you see people doing things wrong. 
You have to have tolerance and forbearance so that you don't lash out at them. And how do you gain that? By practicing what it is you learn. That's what the ulama say. That when you learn something, put it into implementation, and then you will start having. That will pave a way that Allah Ta'ala will make you be tolerant and, and have forbearance amongst the people. And we find those that are most hostile in different discussions and the masajid and whatnot, usually their hostility is a result of their lack of knowledge. Right? They think they know everything. They think they know everything. And so they just, everything, black and white. Everything is black and white. No difference of opinion. This is haram, bidah, kufr, shirk. Right? It's like this, we call it the box of fear. Right? Haram, kufr, bidah, shirk. So we paint you, put this in this box, and freak you out. You do anything that this is going to be haram, kufr, bidah, or shirk. So you get scared to stay within this box, and then all of a sudden, you don't do anything. Everything becomes one of the four, right? Or all of the four, right? Whereas, although this box is there, it's much wider than most people make it out to be. It's not as wide as some want to make it, but it's a lot wider than most people, than people uh, think it is, right? Or they try to make it. So he says that, know that, what, the highest amongst people are those who humble themselves, who think themselves to be the lowest. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, That the servants of the most merciful. So we said, what Rahman is the most, it takes the most precedent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes and names. So Allah ta'ala says, the, the servant of the most merciful. He could have said, He could have said the servant of Allah. He could have used the servant of any other name of, of His. But He says, the servant of Rahman. This shows a, a level of loftiness for the ibad, for the servant. Is they are those, who are they? They are the ones who walk in the earth, hona. They are the ones who walk in the earth, humbly. And then it goes on. jahiluna, And when the ignorant people come to them and address them, qalu, they say, salam, salam. Or they, they respond rather in a peaceful manner. Right? They respond in a peaceful manner. So this shows us what? That... Virtue is hum, hum, humility is to have virtue. Humility is to have virtue. And that the loftiest station we can have is to recognize that we are the servants of Allah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra, He says, Subhanallahi bi'abidihi laylam min al-masjid al-harami ila al-masjid al-aqsa. That glory be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallahi bi'abdihi with thee, the one, the abd, the slave, the servant who traveled from Masjid al-Haram to Masjid al-Aqsa. He refers to Rasulullah as what? Abd, as slave. So if Rasulullah is the highest of creation, the best of creation, and Allah Ta'ala refers to him as Abd, as slave, that means what? The highest rank is to recognize that we are the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Ta'ala shows us the rank of servitude and slavehood to him by saying Ibadur Rahman, by linking it with, the, with his name, uh, Ar-Rahman Further Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Speaking about humility There's so many examples of humility Allah ta'ala says وَخْفِدْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ That lower the wings of humility مِنَ rahma To who? To your parents Out of mercy فَقُلْ And say رَبِّ رَحَمْهُمَا O my Rabb Have mercy on them كَمَا رَبَّيَانِ صَغِيرًا As they had mercy on me As they Sorry As they nurtured me when I was young So we are We have to And this is important The reason we bring this verse is because we, especially at this age group, right, at the university level, right, I went through it as well. This is when usually we hit butt heads with our parents the most. And then we start thinking that we're, you know, no, we know and we've, we're mature now, we've understood. And yes, although that maturity and that understanding is growing, our parents are our parents and they deserve our respect no matter what, right? We don't have to agree with them on everything, right? 
and we don't have to, if they ask us to do something that's in the disobedience of Allah, then we can't do it. But we still have to go about it in a respectful way. We still have to show respect to them. Yeah. Uh, okay, so just on the topic. So what if they ask you to do something, but it's not in the disobedience? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, so it's not, they ask you to do something, but it's not, it's not going to be disobeying Allah Ta'ala, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, so then, you know, you should do it. And, you know, when it comes to, like, big things, like, you know, I mean, life-changing things, like, you can talk to them about it, right? So they say, oh, you know, I think you should marry this person. But you're really not feeling it. Don't force yourself into it, right? Make mashwara with them. Talk to them about it, right? They say you should choose this major. Make mashwara with them. Like, these are life-altering things. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, you've disgraced them. But you have to be respectful to them. You have to be respectful to them. And as much as possible, we should do what they say, as long as it's not in the disobedience of Allah. As much as possible. Okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sorry, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu he also mentions, Inna Allaha awha ilayya, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to me, Anta wada'u hatta la yabghiya ahadun ala ahadin, wala yafkhara ahadun ala ahadin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to me, to be, that you should be uh, humble, you should have humility and humbleness, to such an extent, right, why should you have humbleness? So that you do not transgress anybody else. So that you do not transgress anybody else. So that nobody thinks of themselves to be better than anyone else. This tells us what? That arrogance, right? Lack of humility results in arrogance. And arrogance is what causes us to wrong other individuals. Be it individuals, be it nations, be it groups, whoever it is. It's lack of humility. If we had humility, we wouldn't, think of our, we wouldn't wrong anyone because we wouldn't think of ourselves to be better than them. Right, so that's usually that's one of the major causes of us wronging individuals. Abu Huraira radiallahu he narrates a hadith that Rasulullah said, "Ma tawada ahadun lillahi illa rafaahullah." That a person is not humble. A person is not humble to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. I mean, he does not show his humility to Allah and to everyone else, right? Except that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala raises him in maqam. So if this is all part of the counsel Imam Ghazali is giving, that what? If we humble ourselves, show humility, and we are modest, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise our rank amongst people. So if we go out and we start boasting about ourselves, right? Totally boasting, and I'm this, I'm that, I have this achievement, I have that achievement. What happens? People start looking at us like, this guy, he's, look at how arrogant he is. All he does is talk about himself, you know? But when we have humility, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what? He puts it in the hearts of people to respect this person. Because this person is humble. That Allah ta'ala, He's the one that controls the hearts. Right? So when we show humility amongst people, all the more we show humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then Allah ta'ala will raise us in ranks with people. So humility, this is a trait, this is one of the traits of the believer that we have to engage in, that we have to... Uh, bring within ourselves and it's difficult like this society is a very we've become a very narcissistic society right everything we just you know even like you know I mean we, we post videos about ourselves giving talks these this and that like it's difficult right and yes it's a form of dawah and stuff like that also right and I'm not talking about oh these people they post a video about themselves so it's you know like these ulama and stuff like that they're not being humble and this that no it's a form of dawah like this is how people are getting their deen right and we need to go beyond that but we have to check ourselves because we can very easily lose our humbleness. We can very easily lose humility, right? So, I mean, what? You go on Facebook, this many likes, this many views, this many shares, this many retweets. 
it's what? It starts playing in your mind, right? We start thinking, this many friends, this many likes. It's, we start thinking of ourselves to be important, whereas like, the reality is that people are just hitting like left and right. They're not even thinking, you know? <laughs> I mean, what happened? Like, people will get an article and they'll share it without even reading the article. Who knows what's even in there? A NPR, a few years ago, they, did a, they put a post out there saying that, you know, nowadays people are not reading. It's like a little blurb and a link to their article. People don't read. They just see an, a, a headline and they pass judgment and they, and they act like they know everything that's in the article and then they give their, their opinion on it. And there were tons of comments. That's not true. I don't do that. I read. How can you accuse us of this? I don't do that. You click on the link and it says April Fools. No article. <laughs> right? And there's even comments in there. People are saying like, uh, there's no article. Like, <laughs> you know, no one's even reading. They're just doing this, right? So this is like a, a facade, right? That we just, we, we've fooled ourselves into thinking we have become someone of importance based on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. You know, narcissistic society, right? We just, I mean, look at how many, everyone's got an opinion about everything. That's one of the unfortunate things about blogging and whatnot. And like, it's fine, right? Blog, like if it's gonna help you, if you like writing and it'll, you know, help you write, you know, in the future and keep your skills polished and stuff like that, do it, right? Do it, fine. But like everyone thinks their opinion matters. And I wrote a blog post. This one guy said to me a few weeks ago, he goes, yeah, I wrote an article, you know, it was, one of the, it's a very well-known Islamic magazine. Have you heard of it? I was like, no, I've never heard of it. Oh, really? I'm surprised it's so well-known. And, you know, I wrote this article. It was a very good article about how people who can't go for Hajj, they should uh, send their iPads to do Hajj for them. I was like, subhanAllah. Like, if people can't go for Hajj, I wanted to tell them, like, why are you being an extremist, you know? Allah Ta'ala, if you can't go for Hajj, he said, you're excused from it. That's <laughs> simple. You don't have the monetary or physical means. You're excused from it. That pillar falls off from you. That, you know? Like, we have to base things on Sharia. So you wrote an article and you deem this magazine to be well-known and to be reputable. Therefore, you think your opinion matters? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I studied six years, man. In Islam, my opinion doesn't hold much precedence. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, aside from deen and all that stuff, we are living in a very narcissistic society and we have to watch ourselves and always humble ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we've shared before, right, quotes of Ali radiallahu anhu saying that, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu saying what, I forget exactly, but things like, you know, what is the, look at the state of, of man that he, he is born, he is created from a drop of sperm and turned into a clot and then, you know, uh, comes out of the womb and he takes what is pure, right, food and whatnot and excretes it and then he will die and he will, you know, worms will feed on his body and he will rot and stench and have this stench and then he will completely, like, his body will, you know, disintegrate. Yet he thinks of himself to be, like, what, so supreme when this is his state, <laughs> right? We keep these things in mind, inshallah, it should help us. We should always check ourselves and humble ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and try and humble ourselves before it, people also. Any questions? Yes? No? You guys are looking tired. Some of you. <laughs> um, yeah? Can you like, give us examples of ways we can humble ourselves? Like, what, how do you humble yourself? <laughs> so my teacher told me, this is kind of crude, right? So, forewarning. My teacher told me, he said, whenever you go to the bathroom, you should think yourself to be lower than what you're excreting. Remind yourself of that, right? And I mean, we, you know, if we remind ourselves of our shortcomings and our weaknesses, then this should also help us humble ourselves. Not to the point where we become despondent, you know, but realize our shortcomings. 
My teachers said that, you know, uh, when Allah Ta'ala makes your shortcomings apparent to you, this is a sign that He wishes well for you. Because your shortcoming, the reason it's, it's become apparent to you, He allowed it to become apparent to you because He wants you to change it. Right? There's those individuals who, I mean, how many of us, right, we don't realize our shortcomings. Somebody tells it to us and we say, no, you're wrong. We make all the excuses in the world for ourselves. So try and think of our shortcomings, take an account of ourselves, how did we spend our day? Did I say anything that might have been hurtful to somebody? Right? And if I hurt them, like, was I, were they deserving of that? Right? Think of our shortcomings. Think of people who we know to be better than us. You know, so one of the things that we're, we should do, Rasulullah said, is that we should, in deen, we should look at those that are better than us. And in dunya, we should look at those that are below us. Meaning what? Not that we look down on those that are below us, but those who don't have as much, of, uh, as much wealth as we do, we should make comparisons of ourselves to them. Why? So that we can have, show thankfulness to Allah that at least you've given me this much. And I could have been in that state where I didn't have as much, you know? But in deen, we should look at those that have more taqwa than us, that are better on, and more firm on deen than us, so that we can aspire to be like that, you know? And I mean, I think like Ali Radunana, his... his Example is like a beautiful example, you know, our state is going to be what worms are going to feed on us We're insignificant. Think about the world around us, the universe. How insignificant are we? Our existence is not even necessary You know, a few people, will, we die, people will miss us for a few weeks Maybe a few years, once a year for some time after that, then they'll forget about us And then we'll just be, you know, a name on a, on a stone, if that Right? And then after some time, our graves will just get reused by other people who have passed away. Like, this is our state, right? So try and realize the greatness of Allah and the greatness of Rasulullah and the greatness of others that achieve something in deen. And then inshallah, we should, it, it should help. This is why like, the concept of having a sort of a type of sheikh over you where you, you go to them so that they can humble you, so they can remind you, they can call you out on your faults and you don't get upset about it. You know, because if a person calls me out on my fault, I might get upset, right? Because, oh, who are you to say this? But if you go to someone and say, look, I want you to do this. You're committing yourself. I want you to do this. I won't take offense. We might get upset because our nafs will get angry, right? But we've asked them to do this when they call us out on our faults. Slowly, it happens enough. We start rectifying it enough. And then it'll eventually, the humility will come into us. And we'll even remove those faults. You know, that's how we'll bring a check on our nafs. So that was sort of the crude example that is kind of crude, but like, you know, it's a reality, right? <laughs> like, why do we think ourselves? I mean, think about the sins that we commit. We commit all these sins. We, we dress up so nice. We put out, you know, outwardly, we have this great appearance. But inwardly, like, what type of anger and rancor are we harboring in our hearts for individuals, right? For people. Whereas, like, Rasulullah didn't do that. He didn't have hatred towards people, you know? And like if we think, I mean, what? People usually sin in private. Why do they sin in private? Because if we sin in public, well, then people would see it and they might think lower, lower, low of ourselves. And we shouldn't sin in public, right? Because if you sin in public and then somebody else sees you doing it and it entices them to do it, you're going to be accountable for that, for the other person's sin. So if you're going to sin, do it in private. But think about it. I sin in private. Like how despicable is this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know? I don't, I, I shouldn't be an arrogant person because this is my state with Allah. Does that help? Imam Ghazali has a lot. I mean, he was very big on the on tazkiyah, right, purification of the heart. So he has a lot of books and examples on how we can try to humble ourselves and whatnot. Any other questions?
So I, uh, one thing I 